they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the first Friday of the month of May. I believe today is May 7th. And um, it is First Friday, Remember the Sacred Heart, to do reparation to Jesus. And it's a good day to make adoration, the Blessed Sacrament. And every day is a good day to make adoration, but especially on the First Fridays. Jesus asks us to go to Mass, receive Holy Communion, go to Confession, and um, make reparation to his Sacred Heart. He said, Behold this heart which has loved mankind so much and has been loved so little in return. So let's love him in return. Let's accept his love. Because that's what we're going to talk about today is love. But we're going to start out. Um, Terry's not here with me because he's doing baby duty. We're um, tag teaming here. So <laughs> we're still working on that. Um, the baby's sleeping. So he's watching the baby while um, I do the show. And um, I want to start out today with the first reading, which is from the Acts of the Apostles, Acts 15, 22 through 31. We will get to today's gospel, but I, I do want to start here with the Acts of the Apostles. Um the Acts of the Apostles, and this is what, during the Easter season, the church holds before us in the daily readings of the Mass, and even on Sundays, the Acts of the Apostles, because it's the early chronicles of the church. It's the first history we have of the development of the Catholic Church in the very beginning. So, uh, beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, need to read it, need to understand it, need to study it. Um, so, let's, let's do a little of that today. The Acts of the Apostles. The apostles and presbyters, in agreement with the whole church, decided to choose representatives to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. The ones chosen were Judas, who was called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers. This is the letter delivered by them. The apostles and presbyters, your brothers, to the brothers in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, of Gentile origin, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number who went out without any mandate from us have upset you with their teaching and disturbed your peace of mind, we have with one accord decided to choose representatives and to send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have decided to dedicate their lives to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we are sending Judas and Silas, who will also convey the same message by word of mouth. It is the decision of the Holy Spirit and of us not to place on you any burden beyond these necessities, namely to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meats of strangled animals, and from unlawful marriage. If you keep free of these, you will be doing what is right. Farewell. And so they went on their journey. Upon their arrival in Antioch, they called the assembly together and delivered the letter. When the people read it, they were delighted with the exhortation. The word of the Lord. God's word is holy. So what do we have here? I wanted to go over this because this is, a be- this is the beginning. It was the result of the first council of the church, which took place in Jerusalem very soon. And as Father said in his sermon, there were things that came up in the early church that Jesus hadn't given specifics about. For instance, what's going to happen when Gentiles start coming into the church? 
How does the old law of the old covenant, the circumcision, the dietary laws, the um, animal sacrifices, how do those bind the new converts? And you had this controversy. And Paul, Saul, saw clearly that it wasn't the Lord's will to impose on new converts to Christianity, to Christ, to the Catholic Church, some of the um, provisional parts of the old law, the circumcision, the animal sacrifices, some of the dietary laws. So Paul, Saul, was not making the Gentiles be circumcised. And there were people who came from Jerusalem who had no authority to do this, who went around spreading trouble. Now, what do we have here? We have the church. And if you read the whole um, Acts 15 there, you have the first council. Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem. They present what they're doing. And then you have this difficulty with, well, what do we do with these Gentile converts? Do they have to become Jews by being circumcised and then have to follow the whole Mosaic law? And so the church fathers, the, the, the early first bishops of the church get together. That is um, the apostles. And they come together to meet and to pray. And the elders, the apostles and the elders, those they, they had already appointed as other bishops. And they come together and they pray and they ask the Holy Spirit, what is your will? Because the Holy Spirit is God, right? God is God. There's only one God. There are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're co-equal, co-eternal. There's only one God, but there are three distinct persons within the Trinity. And so the Holy Spirit inspired them to help them to understand. No, the dietary laws, um, the circumcision, the animal sacrifices, those were not meant to be permanent. Those were all pointing to something that was greater, that would be more glorious, that would be filled with grace. Remember, you know, Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Hebrews, or you know, Paul, I think, is the author of Hebrews. There are other scholars who differ, and that's fine. Um, the church hasn't pronounced on that definitively. So um, he makes it clear that there, um, the grace, the grace comes through Jesus Christ. It wasn't there in the old law. And so, yeah, there were the animal sacrifices, or whatever, but they couldn't really take away sins. Only when Christ came were the sins taken away. And so Jesus establishes the fullness of everything that the old law was preparing for and pointing towards because the whole point of it was the old law was about preparing us to receive the Messiah. Remember Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning? They turned their backs on God and they listened to God's enemy, our enemy, by the way, the devil is our enemy. He doesn't want our good. Yeah, he promised you a lot of pleasure in this world, maybe power, maybe a, a great career in the movies or in singing or even in business, a lot of money. He can promise you a lot of worldly things. But at what price? At the price of your eternal salvation. Now, remember, the devil is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. So if you've ever gone into a contract with him, you're not bound by it. Jesus Christ frees you. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come back to him. Come back to his church. Renounce Satan. Renew your baptismal promises, which what we do. I renounce sin and refuse to be mastered by the glamour of evil. I renounce Satan and all his pomps and works and all his empty promises. I renounce Satan and all his pomps and works and all his empty promises. His promises are empty. All he has for us is an eternity of hell. Hell was made for Satan and his angels. The devil who rebelled against God in the beginning. You know, in the beginning, God created the light. 
and he saw that it was good and God separated the light from the darkness, he created all the angels and the devil rebelled because he didn't want to serve God. I will not serve. And so God had to create hell for the devil. He didn't make it for man. He made man to be immortal. And he wants us to be immortal with him in heaven. So the church shows her authority here. God gave his authority. Jesus Christ, when he established his church, just like in the old law, he set up a priesthood in the old covenant. And it wasn't just anybody who could be a priest. And there was a ceremony for the priesthood and everything. You know, it was all laid out. And, and in the new covenant, when Jesus, Jesus establishes his church, yes, he set up a priesthood. But who is the priest? Jesus is the, the priest. And every priest who is ordained participates in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. But they're not there to just decide what is their will or how do I feel about this. They're there to pass on the sacred deposit of faith which Jesus left to his church. And as questions come up over the centuries and over the years about what is to be done in this particular circumstance, the church has to address that. So we had Gentile converts in the early church. The church had to address that. Do they have to be circumcised? Are they bound to all of the dietary laws? You can't eat pork. You know, you can't eat shellfish. You can't, you know, are they bound to all of this? Um, are they bound to the animal sacrifice and, the, and, and to come to Jerusalem for their worship? And the, the early church recognized, and remember, this is the authority, Peter the rock on whom Christ founded his church, not just Peter's faith, but on Peter. He, made, he, he appointed Peter as the head of the college of bishops. He's, he's equal to the bishops, but he, he has this authority of not just, not just a primacy, excuse me, not just a primacy of honor. He has a primacy of jurisdiction. So Peter was the one who stood up and said at the Council of Jerusalem, I don't think we should impose a burden on these Gentile converts that even we and our fathers couldn't keep. And so what they do, they decide, they decide that they have to, the, the Gentile converts do have to abstain from the meat sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meats of strangled animals, and from unlawful marriage. And remember, unlawful marriage wasn't just a problem. It was a problem for all men ever since the fall. Okay, but among the Gentiles, you had, you know, brothers and sisters marrying each other or very close relatives marrying each other. And sometimes they even had the problem in Corinth where you had a, a Christian man apparently living with his, his, um, his father's wife. Now, whether that was his mother or uh, his stepmother, nonetheless, it was a horrible scandal. And Paul said, no, you can't do this. He wrote to them about that. So they're being instructed. There are certain things you do have to do. And remember, the meat sacrificed to animals, Paul will explain in one of his letters, is sacrificed, when you sacrifice, excuse me, the meat sacrificed, the, the, the sacrifice, excuse me, okay, to abstain from, where I lost it here, I'm sorry, for, sacrifice to idols. Because Paul says when they sacrifice to idols, they're really sacrificing to demons. So you can't partake of the, the table of the demons and the table of the Lord. So there are things that exclude us from the possibility of receiving Holy Communion. And the church does exercise authority. And even here in the very beginning, in the Acts of the Apostles, the, Peter and the Apostles are exercising authority of jurisdiction over the whole church. So we'll be back with more from Bible with the Barbers. And we're going to talk today about love and what does it mean in scriptural terms. Thank you for joining us on this first Friday of the month of May. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this first Friday of May. And Terry is babysitting our grandson, so I'm here my guarding angel, and um, we started today's show with the Acts of the Apostles, for those of you who might be just joining us. And by the way, thank you for all of our listeners, for all those who listen, for all those who pray for us and sacrifice for us, and for all those who make monetary donations. We couldn't do this work without your support and your help, so thank you. And um, if we're still on um, Stations of the Cross, if the show is still being picked up by Stations of the Cross, I want to welcome all those listeners. And I understand that we're not on YouTube anymore. We... um, I guess we said some things that um, offended their community guidelines. So we need to pray for the conversion of sinners and the conversion of our world that we will understand that God is God and we are not and that he gave his law for us to obey. It's not, um, I can pick and choose, okay? Now I can pick and choose, I have free will, but if I pick and choose, I'm separating myself from him if I choose not to keep his commandments. So it may be against community guidelines for us to teach the commandments and teach what Christ taught, But if that is the case, then we're no longer living in a Christian world, are we? And we need to be willing to sacrifice, even as the early church was, where people died for their faith. Are we willing to die for our faith? Let's pray for the grace to be able to do that. So in the Acts of the Apostles here, we're just summing up. uh, Today's first reading from the Acts of the Apostles talks about the results of the first council of the church, was the Council of Jerusalem, over whether or not the Gentile converts had to be circumcised and whether they had to father follow all of the Mosaic law. And the church, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, after prayer and fasting, came to understand that no, that was some of the things in the Mosaic law were provisional. Now, she didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, one of the, one of the commandments is specifically mentioned here, unlawful marriage. You're, you are to abstain from unlawful marriage. So <laughs> for all of those of you who have the marriage question on your mind, no, um, Jesus said it, uh, you know, you can't, you're married, you're married for life. If you're really married, you're married. So, um, so you abstain from unlawful marriage. But the church has the authority to do this. She has the authority to authentically antip- interpret not only scripture, but the sacred deposit of faith. Now that doesn't mean she has the authority to change it. And they're not changing anything here. What the church understood is there were things in the old law that were provisional. They weren't complete. The temple It doesn't exist anymore. It was destroyed. But what happened? All of us are temples of the living God. And the church had the holy sacrifice of the mass that could be celebrated throughout the world. And you didn't have to just go to Jerusalem. It wasn't just one temple, one central temple. It was throughout the world the mass would be celebrated. And this was, you know, God God bringing to the fullness of what he wanted to do to make that, that his kingdom would be throughout the world. And that all peoples of all times and places could worship him in spirit and in truth with a proper worship. And that is the holy sacrifice of the mass. So the church has the authority to speak. God has given her that authority. And, and he did set up a hierarchy within the church. It's not just, um, you know, just as he did in the Old Testament when he set up the, 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 the Jewish church, as it were, the call, the people of God in the Old Testament. There was a hierarchy and there was an authority that people came to. And, and God didn't change that. So we go to the church and we pray. We pray for our church leaders that they will speak clearly as Archbishop Corday Leon spoke out and other bishops have spoken out, Archbishop Chaput, Bishop Strickland, um, Cardinal Burke, that you cannot, 
be a public sinner and you cannot publicly support abortion, which is a crime, even if it's legal, it's still a crime against God and against humanity to kill unborn innocent children, even if it's not through direct induced abortion, if it's through um, the use of contraceptives, which also are abortifacients. But direct induced abortion is a crime against God and against humanity. So if a person is supporting that, they can't receive Holy Communion because communion means that I'm in union with Christ. And if I'm not keeping the law, if I'm not supporting and protecting the most innocent and defenseless of human beings who are made in God's image, every child is a unique, unrepeatable image and likeness of God made in God's image. If I'm not protecting those children, if I'm saying, well, you know, it's a woman's right of choice. Well, you know, a woman, yes, she has, she has a right over her own body. She has the right to be ab- abstinent. She has the right to abstain from sexual relations if she's not married. Um, even in marriage, with the agreement of her husband, for, for, to free them for prayer, they have the right to abstain for a while. Um, outside of marriage, adultery, well, that's a bad choice, honey. Fornication, adultery, those are bad choices. Don't blame the world for the bad choices you made. If you, if, you made, if you committed adultery, if you commit fornication, number one, please don't punish the child for it. If somebody raped you, please don't punish the child for it. I realize that you were, you were violated, but punishing the child isn't going to make your life better. And if you commit adultery or fornication, punishing the child isn't going to make your life better. Take responsibility for your actions. Okay, recognize that child as a unique, unrepeatable image and likeness of God who should be protected. And it's important. This is what the church has to preach. And so if we're not living according to the commandments, we can't receive Holy Communion. And if we're a public figure and we're supporting the killing of unborn innocent children, no, you can't receive Holy Communion. You have separated yourself from God. And to receive Holy Communion, as St. Paul warned, you're not receiving life. You're receiving condemnation because now you are guilty of killing the Lord. You are guilty of the body and blood of Christ. And the the Greek phrase means that you're guilty of murdering Christ. And Jesus said, whatever you do, the least of my brothers you do to me. So yes, the, the bishops need to speak out clearly to our politicians and tell them, no, you need to repent. You need to publicly repent of your support of abortion. And you need to go back to supporting the right to life at every stage of life. And the church has the authority to do that. She only has the authority, she has the duty. She has to safeguard the sacred deposit of faith that Christ left to his church. And that's not unloving. And that's what we want to talk about in the show today. What is love? What does it mean? Well, let's read today's gospel, the gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, which, by the way, will be this will be read again on Sunday. There'll be more of it. It will be a longer gospel, but it will include this portion. Okay. Jesus said to his disciples, This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have told you everything that I heard from my father. It is not you who chose me. I chose you and appointed you 
to go and bear fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This is my command. This I command you. Love one another. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus says to his disciples, this is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. Wait a minute. I thought the commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. And now Jesus is at St. Therese of Lezu said, you know, hey, hey, wait a minute. At the last supper, you said, I have to love my neighbor as you love me. <laughs> wait a minute, Lord. I can't do that. Number one, you loved me first, Lord. So I have to love my neighbor before they love me? As a matter of fact, Lord, you love me when I'm your enemy. When I was offending you, when I was sinning against you, you love me. You love me to the point of pouring out your life for me. So what is love in Jesus' terms in this gospel? Am I willing to sacrifice myself, my own wants to begin with, my own needs, actually, in order to bring life to another, to bring truth, goodness, joy, beauty to another? Is love just a warm, fuzzy feeling where I say, well, I just want to make people comfortable. I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. I just want everybody to feel welcome and not feel uncomfortable. And it's all about how you feel. And as long as we all feel good, it's all wonderful. Well, we have an enemy who sings that tune, the devil. And he tempts you to sin. And what does he say to you when he's tempting you? Oh, but see, see how delightful it is. See how pleasurable it is. See how good it feels. It feels so good. You know, what was that song? It couldn't possibly be wrong when it feels so right. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I remember a priest preaching a sermon on that song when I was a teenager who said, wait a minute. It couldn't be wrong if it feels so right. I don't think so. That's the devil. He's telling you, if it feels so good, it must be right. So as long as everybody feels comfortable, it's right, right? Well, no, that's not true. It's not about what feels right. It's not about what feels good. It's about what did God command? Because what does Jesus say here? He says, no greater love has anyone than to lay down their life for a friend. And that's what he does. And then he says he calls us his friends. And why does he call us his friends? And he says, you are my friends. Okay, I call you friends. And you are my friends if. Oh, wait a minute. What happened to that unconditional love where I, I love you no matter what? Jesus loves you no matter what. That doesn't mean you're a friend of his. He loves the devil, by the way, because God is love. He loves all his creatures. The difficulty is not God. And it's not God's love being unconditional. The difficulty is our receiving his love. You see, the devil rejected his love. He's not a friend. You are my friend if you do what I command you. <gasps> what? There's a condition? Yes. If you want to be a friend of Jesus, you can't be a friend. We cannot be Jesus' friend if we aren't striving constantly, day by day, moment by moment, to do what he commands. Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> the world needs to wake up. And by the way, there's more than one way of killing someone. Remember, Jesus said, 
The law says thou shalt not kill. And I say to you, anyone who grows angry with his brother is liable to the judgment. And anyone who calls his brother a fool risks the hellfire. So it's not just enough to say, um, well, you know, I have my life and you don't make me feel comfortable and I'm going to write you off. And, but I can be angry at you and bitter against you. We need to learn to forgive. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He's willing to forgive everyone who asks for forgiveness. But in order to be his friend, we have to keep his commandments. And that's a daily striving. The just man falls seven times a day. The just man. (laughs) The just man. St. Joseph was a just man. Okay? St. Joseph shared in the prerogatives of the Blessed Virgin Mary, according to the church, by virtue of his marriage to her. St. Joseph was extremely holy. So the just man falls seven times a day. How many times do we fall every day? It's not whether you fell. Did you get up again? Turn back to God and say, I'm sorry. God knows we're sinners. He came to save sinners. By the way, something to rejoice in. He came to save sinners. So we renounce our sin and embrace Christ. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio and spreading the word about this radio program. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the first Friday of May, May 7th. Terry's babysitting, as I mentioned before. We looked at Acts of the Apostles in the very beginning of the show, so if you missed that, you might want to, the first reading for today's Mass, uh, it talks about the authority of the church and how the church decides things. And we're looking at John 15, 12 through 17, the today's reading for Mass, which will be read again on Sunday. And we're talking about love and what is love in the Christian view of things. What is love? Well, we have this, this commandment from God to love one another as, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus adds to that, love one another as I love you. And how did he love us? He loved us unto death. Jesus surrendered himself to death for our sake. He gave up his life in this world. Remember, the second person of the Blessed Trinity really became man. He really took to himself a human nature. He is not a human person. He is a divine person who took to himself a human nature. So he's truly God, truly man. And God became man to redeem man from sin. Not to rescue us from poverty, physical poverty, or not to eliminate all suffering in this world. As a matter of fact, he came to suffer. He was born to die. And not just to die, but to die in excruciating agony. To lay down his life for his friends. Greater love than this no man has, it says in today's gospel. Greater love no man has than to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you keep my commandments. Just as Jesus kept his father's commandments, we have to keep his commandments. Not that there's a difference between the father's commandments and the commandments Jesus gives us because the son and the father are one. (laughs) Jesus is perfectly united to his father. Okay. And he, he wants us to love and to love to the point of sacrificing our lives. This is what love is. 
Love is not this warm, fuzzy feeling where, you know, two people fall in love and the rest of the world doesn't matter and it's just those two and they're going to live happily ever after and go off to some island somewhere or go off to some secluded place and they'll be totally complete and love one another forever but never do anything to their neighbor? No, that's not love. Love isn't closed in on itself. Love is diffusive. It gives itself away. When Christ came, did he just lock himself away in a room? No, he went out. First he, first he prayed for 30 years. He prepared for his public mission by the, the hidden life in Nazareth with first Mary and Joseph and then when Joseph died with his mother. Praying and preparing. And then he had a three-year public ministry where he went out. He collected the apostles. He taught them his teaching. And then he taught them how to give it to others. All right? And he also taught them, you have to follow my commandments. It's not just enough to say, well, I love you. Remember, he said, not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, will be saved. But the one who does the will of my father, who keeps the commandments. Okay, so Jesus has kept his father's commandments. We're supposed to keep those. Greater love, the fullest expression of love, consists in pouring out our lives to God as Jesus Christ did on the cross. Remember, Jesus is pouring out his life to make reparation for our sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they commit an infinite offense against God. No human being, no human person could make up to God for the offense that was committed. And so God himself became man. So the second person of the Blessed Trinity became man in order to pour out his life to make reparation for the sin of man. But he became man because man was the one who sinned. And so, as St. Athanasius said in fighting the Arian heresy, which didn't grant Jesus either his divinity or his humanity, he was a third kind of creature, a new kind of creature. He wasn't God, but he wasn't man. He wasn't an angel because there was some, you know, something there. He had to be somehow close to God because he had to. But St. Athanasius said, no, if he wasn't God, then he couldn't pay the debt that was owed. And if he wasn't man, then we're not redeemed because whatever he didn't assume is not redeemed. So if he didn't assume a true human nature with a body and soul, you know, then the faculty of the soul, the will and the intellect and the body, our body with all of its faculties, if he didn't assume that, then we're not redeemed, but he did. And when he assumed it, he loves us. He did it out of love. And so this is the kind of love to sacrifice ourselves in order to follow him, to be faithful to him. And so we have to lead one another and not to lead one another in away from God or into sin. All right. Jesus calls us friends, right? The promise of intimacy with Jesus is conditioned because it can be fulfilled only if we commit ourselves to his teaching. Abraham was called a friend of God. Why? Because he did God's will. So what does this love look like? Well, we have, you know, Jesus says it several times in the Gospels that, you know, if you want, if you love me, keep my commandments. And anyone who, who loves me will keep my commandments. And, and the Father will love him and we will come and we will live in him. And this was the, the litmus test, they say, the litmus test. But we do have, in Paul's writing, a description of what this love looks like, okay? What is this love? 
Well, I, I want to refer to 1 Corinthians 13. Because Paul talks about, you know, what is the greatest gift? And, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. And then he goes on, if I give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, love, I gain nothing. So again, we have those um, little catechetical moments in between, you know, it's not what we do, it's the love with which we do it. The love. As Blessed Marmion, um, Don Columba Marmion discovered, he said when he was uh, a young priest in Ireland, his spiritual director was always telling, or his confessor was always telling him, practice the virtues, practice the virtues, practice the virtues, and eventually you'll come to love God. And he said, I realized that was backward. You see, Love God, and eventually you'll be able to practice the virtues. Love is the foundation. Love must be the foundation. If it's not, what we're doing is distorted, and we're not building on a solid foundation. And it's the love of Christ that is that foundation. So what does this love look like? St. Paul gives us a description, and I'll tell you, it's a tough one, isn't it? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Prophecies will end. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. Our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. Which, by the way, that refers also to the old law. The old law was imperfect. And when Christ came, there were provisional things in the old law that passed away because they were fulfilled. Now the law was fulfilled in Christ and he established the definitive covenant. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Remember the devil has faith and he trembles. It's important to remember, we are not saved by faith alone. The devil has faith and he trembles. He doesn't have charity. So love is patient and kind. Does that mean that if I'm impatient sometimes or unkind, that I'm not loving or don't have any love in me? No, we're sinners. And every time we're impatient or unkind, we need to repent. That was me, Lord. That's me without your grace. Without your grace, I'm only capable of impatience and unkindness because I think about myself first. I'm self-centered. I'm ego-centered. You know, we're egocentric creatures because of sin. So we ask God for the grace to break out of that egocentrism and, and break free to be centered on loving our neighbor and loving, loving God and our neighbor for the love of God. Love is not jealous or boastful. Love is not jealous in the sense of possessively jealous. You know, 
when, when people are in a relationship and like, oh, I saw you looking at that girl. How dare you? How dare you even look at anyone other than me? How dare you even talk to anyone but me? Well, that's not, that's not love, honey. That's trying to be possessive of another person. No, love is, love is jealous in the sense that when I love my husband, no, I don't want other women um, coming up and making advances to my husband. And I don't want my husband flirting with other women. That's not appropriate. And I don't want him going out to dinner with other women. That's not appropriate. Now, if we go out to dinner with a friend of ours, that's different. We're the two of us together. We had a friend, Sally Wood. She was a stand-up actress in, um, stand-in, excuse me, stand-in actress in Hollywood in the glory days of Hollywood, back when Clark Gable and all the big names. She, had, she, she did a lot of, she stood in for a lot of very famous actresses. But Sally wouldn't play <laughs> the, what is it called? The producer's couch game? So one day she was working on a, on a, a particular movie and, and this producer said to her, oh, Sally, would you like to go to dinner with me? And Sally said, oh, you mean your wife doesn't mind if I join the two of you for dinner? Sally was a devout Catholic. As a matter of fact, she studied a book called The Sanctifier, which is about the Holy Spirit and what, you know, how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and she had study groups. So she, she loved her Catholic faith. And she loved her Catholic faith enough to say, my career doesn't mean so much to me that I need to break God's law in order to go where I want to go in this world. No, she wouldn't do that. And so, and it got, word got around, you know, Sally would call these men on their infidelity to their wives and she would call them to fidelity, you know? So what is this love, this love that we're called to, that the scripture talks about? Greater love than this no man has than to lay down his life for a friend. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. By the way, we are on Rumble and we're on Facebook, even if YouTube has not, has kicked us off. So keep listening and spread the word, and we'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this first Friday of May. And Terry's not with me right now in the studio because Terry's babysitting our grandson. So thank you for joining us. I want to thank everyone. And I want to remind you, yes, YouTube kicked us off. We're not politically correct. And we're not, uh, we don't keep their, according to them, we don't keep their community guidelines, which basically translate that they don't like the gospel. (laughs) So pray for them. Pray for the conversion of all sinners. We pray for us. We're all sinners. We all want conversion. We want to turn to Christ and make Jesus Christ the center of our life. And that's, we're talking about love today. And what does that mean? So thank you for joining us. Thanks all those on stations of the cross radio and all the little stations that pick us up. We appreciate that. We are on rumble. We're on um, Facebook. Um, We might be on some other social media platforms. So look for us and pass us on. Uh, You have the app, get the app. And we have our own website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. So just tell your family, your friends, spread the word. There is a Catholic radio station out there. There's several of them, you know, news, news broadcasts and things now for, so we can get the truth. We want the truth. The truth will set us free. Christ is the truth, by the way. The truth isn't just a concept. It's not, you have your truth and I have my truth. No, the truth is a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. And we talked about that last week. You know, without, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. So we want to stay connected to Christ and especially in love. And so we're talking about love. And in John's gospel, John 15, 12 through 17, 
where Jesus says to love one another and, and he uh, wants us to love as he loved, as he loves us. He lays down his life for us and this is greater, no greater love does anyone than to lay down their life for a friend. And, and that if, we're, if we are his friends, then we will keep his commandments. We can't be his friends if we do not keep his commandments. Does that mean we will never sin? We have confession, right? Why would Jesus have established confession if he thought we were never going to sin again? Jesus understands we're broken and weak, okay? And we have to humble ourselves before God. And so we're talking about love and we're looking at what does this love look like in practice? 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul talks about love is patient and kind and is not jealous or boastful. So there is a holy jealousy whereby we safeguard, if we're married couples, we safeguard our vocation. Um, if, if, you know, a wife defends her husband against other women, a husband defends his wife against other men, and they defend their marriage against outside attacks together. Okay. There's also a holy jealousy wherewith we defend the vocations of our priests and religious, and we don't allow them to be attacked. All right. We, we put safeguards in to pray for them and to ask the Lord to protect them from any attack against their vocation. And it's not boastful. We're not boasting and putting other people down. That's not love, okay? It goes on to say, it is not arrogant or rude. Now, does that mean that, you know, I I might be tempted to jealousy. I might be tempted to boastfulness. I might be tempted to arrogance. I might be tempted to being rude. As a matter of fact, I even might even fall into those temptations. Does that mean I'm not capable of loving anymore? No. Even if I commit a mortal sin. Therese of Lezus said, even if I commit all the mortal sins there were to commit. I would simply throw myself on the mercy of the Lord and say, Jesus, you came to save sinners, save me. You know, without God's grace, we're sinners. If God hadn't saved us, if he hadn't poured out his grace, if Christ hadn't come and taken a human nature to himself and died on the cross for our sins, we were lost in sin. We were lost in sin. And God in his mercy came to deliver us from the power of sin and death. He doesn't want us to die the eternal death, the damnation of hell. He doesn't want us there. He wants us in heaven with himself to praise and glorify him for all eternity, to share in his glory. He wants us to share in his love. And so we strive. This is a striving. We strive to be patient and kind. We strive to put aside jealousy and boastfulness. And by the way, that jealousy is Love is not jealous. Okay, I don't look at my neighbor and say, well, he has all those things. He doesn't have a right to have all those things. He must be stealing from me. No, honey. There's no place for jealousy in a heart that has love. Not that kind of jealousy. It's not boastful. I'm not putting myself forward. We're preaching Christ. As Paul would say later, I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. And as Mother Teresa, and I believe she got the prayer from uh, St. John Henry Newman, radiating Christ asking Jesus to live in and through us in such ways that when people look at us, they see Jesus. When they look up, they see the light and the light is all from Jesus. None of it is from us. So we're not boasting. We're not putting ourselves forward. We're not drawing attention to ourselves. Boastfulness draws attention to myself. It usually means that I'm insecure or I've made a mistake and I'm trying to cover it up and and try to distract people from it. Just be honest. I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I do things wrong. It's not everybody else's fault, you know? It's not everybody else's fault that, um, you know, I, I, I spilled the milk on the floor. It's not everybody else's fault that I spilled the water or I spilled oil on the floor. Now I have to clean it up. Just take responsibility. It's not, for, it's not everybody else's fault that I sinned. 
take responsibility for our actions and, and live up to the gospel. Okay? Love is not irritable or resentful. Again, we might experience the temptation to irritation and resentfulness, but again, we renounce the sin. I don't consent to the sin. Remember, you know, the human person, the human being is a very complex person. God made us complex. We have a body and a soul. The angels don't have a body. They don't have to deal with it. We have 11 emotions, right? Love, hate, joy, sorrow, desire, aversion, audacity, fear, hope, despair, and anger. All of those are good, by the way. God made them. They're good, but they can be misused and they can become sinful. All right. By the way, love can be sinful. If I'm loving someone else's husband or, or, you know, if I'm loving the things of this world more than I'm loving Christ, if I love ice cream, that that's wrong. That's disordered. You know, I'm, but, but, and our joy can be disordered. It can be sinful. If I'm taking delight in the sins of others or in my own sins. Okay. So we need all of our emotions are positive. And so we're a very complex creature. And, and so, you know, the irritation, yeah, anger, irritation, resentfulness, I can resent it when somebody hurts me. It can be, you know, irritating. As a matter of fact, the fathers of the church said that if I see injustice and I don't feel anger, then there's something wrong with me. I'm not human. But I don't consent to. So I don't consent to the sin of jealousy. I don't consent to the sin of arrogance. I don't consent to the sin of being rude. I don't consent to the irritability, the sin of irritability. I don't consent to the sin of resentfulness. I don't resent, I don't consent to the sin of impatience or unkindness. So I have to check myself and I have to say, okay, where am I being unkind, impatient, jealous, boastful, arrogant, rude? Where am I insisting on my own way? Where am I being irritable and resentful? And, and then I have to correct myself and my own behavior. By the way, this is the founding fathers of this country understood. This experiment in self-governance, where you have a people who govern themselves, can only work among a godly people because it only works when every single person in the society knows that they're answerable to God and is constantly checking themselves, am I keeping God's commandments? All right? So love does not rejoice in the wrong. It rejoices in the right. So if you're leading someone else into sin and taking delight in that and you're saying you love that person, you're mistaken. Now, you might be deliberately mistaken. You might be lying to yourself on purpose. Or you might just be erroneously mistaken. You might have believe in error. If we're leading people in sin, that's not love. Okay? Fornication is not true love. Adultery is not true love. Now, there's a difference between fornication and adultery. Fornication is participating in the marital act between two people who are not married. And neither of them, they're not married to someone else. Okay? Adultery is when two, a married person has relations with someone other than their own spouse. All right? And adultery is a graver evil because it's an injustice against the family. So we don't rejoice in the wrong. We don't rejoice when we see our country legalizing abortion. We don't rejoice when we see our country legalizing the killing of unborn children through contraception or abortion. We don't rejoice when we see violence in the street and, and political leaders encouraging that. No, we pray. We pray for peace in our country, but we can't have peace as long as we're killing the most innocent, of our, most innocent and def defenseless of our children, of our citizens. 
our unborn children. You can't have peace. The family is being ripped apart, literally, from the womb on up. This, no, 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 we can't have peace. Love doesn't rejoice in what's wrong. It rejoices in what's right. And what is right? To keep God's commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Do we listen to Jesus? Do we take him seriously? It's not easy. Jesus said it's not easy. It's an arduous task. He didn't call us to something that's easy. He called us to something. We have to strive against ourselves and our own inclination to sin. Because of original sin, we don't need the devil's help to do any evil. As a matter of fact, without God's help, we cannot do good. So we have to ask God every day for the grace to do the good. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So yeah, I get irritable and cranky when somebody yells at me and screams at me or they're having a bad day and an accident happened and they're yelling at me and it's all my fault or all somebody else's fault where they're just putting the blame out there, out there, out there. And the reality is, no, honey, calm down. You're tired. You're overworked. You're stressed. You know, it's like when the baby's throwing a temper tantrum. Well, has the baby eaten? Has the baby had enough water to drink? Does the baby have a dirty diaper? Maybe the baby is having stomach cramps or intestinal cramps. You know, they can't tell us that. Maybe they're teething and their teeth are coming in. It's okay. Maybe they're frustrated. Maybe they're just frustrated by all the emotional chaos that's going on around them and all the, the people who are yelling at each other and the baby's frustrated, so he's crying. He's scared. So, you know, and we're like that. Each of us is like that little baby. And we need to calm down, take a deep breath, and say, okay, Lord, I need your help here. I'm being tempted to these sins, unkindness, impatience, arrogance, rudeness, jealousy, boastfulness, irritability, resentfulness. I'm being tempted to rejoice in the wrong. I want to get even with my brother because he hurt me at some point. I just want to see him in jail. I want to see him pay the price. Honey, no, let it go. Let it go. Ask God to forgive you for your sins and to ask God to forgive your brother and to bring peace between you. All of us need to ask. We want true love, and that's the love of God poured out for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, this just goes too fast. I do a Bible study here on Tuesday nights at the chapel, in the chapel if there's no funeral, but upstairs in the office if there's a funeral going on. You're all welcome if you're local to join us. Um, thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barber. Thank everyone who listens. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for supporting us financially, also spiritually with your prayers and your sacrifices, which is a huge support. Continue to pray for us in this apostolate. Um, can't find us on YouTube? Not a problem. Look at Rumble, look at Facebook, look at our own app and our own website. So thank you for joining us. I hope you'll join us again next week on Bible with the Barbers. We'll be looking at more scripture passages trying to understand what God is calling us to do and how we are to live our lives. May God bless you and richly reward you. And may we all remain faithful. May God grant us all the grace of final perseverance.